and illness can become an all-consuming experience. Hi, and welcome to I Am Not My Pain podcast. I am your host, Melissa, a chronic pain sufferer for over 20 years, and I know firsthand how pain can easily take over your life and isolate you from others. But the truth is, we are so much more than our pain and illness, and we are not alone. There are millions of fellow warriors on their own journey. Join me as we hear real stories of people living with pain and illness, their challenges, their victories, and the treatments they use to get through the day. I am not my pain, and neither are you. Welcome back to I Am Not My Pain podcast. Today we are discussing the importance of persistence when living with a chronic illness and chronic pain. To me, persistence doesn't mean you need to be Miss Mary Sunshine 24-7 or that you do not have bad days. It means you overall refuse to give up on finding answers or treatments for your condition and you keep trying to find different ways to live life. One needs persistence in finding a diagnosis, persistence in finding the best medical care and treatments, persistence in finding a way to live and not just survive with your illness. The list goes on and on. My incredible guest, warrior and advocate for today is Jenny Jones. Jenny believes persistence is key to living with all aspects of her two rare chronic conditions called familial adenomatous polyposis or FAP for short, and she also has short bowel syndrome. Diagnosed with FAP as a child, she underwent a total colectomy at age nine. Complications led to six additional surgeries. In 2021, she required her eighth surgery to remove her gallbladder due to gallstones and FAP. Jenny was slowly able to open up about her condition through a community FAP page on Facebook this community encouraged her to start a blog in 2012 called Life's Apollop. I love that name. Jenny now shares a YouTube vlog where she discusses different facets of living with FAP and short bowel syndrome and has written a children's book called Life's Apollop with Zeke and Katie. And if that is not enough, she also offers Life's Apollop Shop through her website where she sells FAP clothing, accessories, and even pet products to help raise awareness on FAP and 100% of the proceeds go to the National Organization for Rare Disorders, Familia Adenomatous Polyposis Research Fund. I will include her website at the end of the show and also in the episode description. Jenny is case in point of how persistence can make the difference in managing chronic conditions. Jenny, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And could you share maybe a little bit more of your story and the symptoms you currently manage? So um, like you mentioned, I had my first surgery at nine. Um, I was diagnosed at eight with FAP. So shortly after that, I started having chronic pain in one way or another because I had five surgeries in total the first year of complications. So, and they were life-threatening complications. I ended up having a severe back pain because of all my abdominal surgeries. And I didn't come to know that's what it was from until high school uh, when it actually worsened again. Um, but in high school, I uh, had my ileostomy reversed. It was supposed to be temporary to begin with, but because of my complications, they couldn't 
or didn't feel like they could reverse it at that time. So in high school, I had a different surgeon who decided to give it a try and it was successful, but I had complications again um, that were life-threatening. And so I had my seventh surgery that next year. Wow. And then I, because of my short bowel syndrome and all the effects of having your organs removed and moved around, I ended up having more abdominal chronic pain that was worsened any time I ate. And it took about at least five years for my health to kind of stabilize from that seventh surgery. And then I got to enjoy a little bit more better health. Mm -hmm. Then in 2015, I fell and hit my head at work and it was just a light switch. Overnight, I started having chronic nausea and increased chronic, chronic pain. And it took probably a good year to kind of get on the right medication combination to help control that. And that I did fine with, I managed it well until 2021. And then I had my eighth surgery. And so it was, my gallbladder had to be removed as well as adhesions in order to get to it. And my gallbladder was full of gallstones and it had cancerous FAP follow-up. So it definitely needed to come out. And I did find from the surgery itself, but then two and a half weeks later, I went back to work and that day on, I started having debilitating chronic pain in the trunk of my body, the entire trunk. Mm. So basically was bedridden for four months, except for the time I went to work. And I now am on effective treatment for it. And so I can function again. I still deal with chronic pain. I have to be careful with it. But between the three diagnoses that I have now that includes abdominal migraine, I have a malnourishment and dehydration, excessive diarrhea and pain that I deal with. Wow, that is a lot. Can you explain just for people that aren't familiar with FAP kind of what it is just briefly? Because I, I don't know if everybody listening would even know, you know, what it is. Absolutely. So it's a genetic uh, mutation and it's um, hereditary, it can occur spontaneously, but it's what it does is that it causes hundreds to thousands of polyps to develop in the colon, and these are precancerous polyps, so they will turn cancerous at some point. So the colon needs to be removed in a timely manner. The lovely thing about all this also is that those polyps can develop anywhere in the GI tract, which means you can have other GI cancers. Mm. And there are other cancers outside of the GI tract that you're at higher risk of, such as thyroid or the community's central nervous system. There's, there's different ones. And then you can also have other manifestations such as desmoid tumors and cysts and bone growth. So it's just a very giving disease. And it just, just gives so much fun for you. And how did you have to be persistent to get your diagnosis? Because I'm sure it's not something can be diagnosed just like that anyway. But at the same time, how did you have to be persistent in getting it? Really, it was my parents, because I was diagnosed mm-hmm. today, it was my parents that had to be persistent. And thank goodness they were. Because what happened was I was having chronic abdominal pain. And my parents believed me. And they knew, I mean, my mom has FAP, her dad had it. So they knew there was a chance that I would have it. Mm. But there wasn't any, in their understanding of it back then, there wasn't any urgency at this point to 
really dig into it. Sure. So they took me to primary and my parents were on an HMO plan. So I had to have a referral from the primary to get to see a GI doctor. Well, that primary refused to give me a referral because I was just a whiny child. Oh. So my parents, as soon as they could get off that insurance plan, they did and they got a PPO plan and they scheduled me with a GI doctor. And she um, was very knowledgeable at FAP. And so as soon as she heard about my stomach pain and my family history, she booked me for upper and lower scopes and genetic testing. And fortunately, the pain was not due to FAP. It was because I am a very highly stressed person, even as a child, and I was starting to develop ulcers. <laughs> but the other tests confirmed that I did indeed have FAP also. So it was a very uh, good timing for me to have stomach pain so that I could get diagnosed early. Yeah, but that's crazy. The first doctor with your given family history would not give you a referral for something like that. Mm-hmm. That That's shocking. But thank goodness your parents believed you because I, I've actually had just recently some people on the show that when they started getting their condition as a child and their parents didn't believe them at all. And it was, it was extremely difficult. So it's great that they did and that they were persistent, which is a good model for you, I'm sure, as you've had to go through this lovely long road, you know, how have you, and so how have you used persistence in getting the best medical care over the years? I mean, I know it must be even more challenging when you have a rare disease because it's hard enough when you're just chronically sick, but when you have a rare condition, I I can't even imagine. So it's definitely paid off because I mean, my uh, pediatric GI doctor, the one that diagnosed me, she was absolutely amazing. And she always went about for me about anything. So I had my mom and her as role models for my advocates. And my dad is there too, but he wasn't the one that had to take me to things because he was at work. So I don't want to exclude him by any means because he's, he's absolutely there for me. So I didn't really start advocating for myself until 2015 when my pediatric GI doctor was retiring after she had me as a patient for over 20 years because I didn't want to go to an adult doctor. <laughs> but so, so it's now that I'm on my own, I, I do things like I can prepare to any type of medical appointment. I have my records. I um, do research on my symptoms, on, on different conditions, you know, especially when I was having the pain after my last surgery. It took me six and a half months to get a diagnosis. I had to see seven specialists. I was not uh, going to live my life in my bed for 16 hours a day if I could help it. And I wanted at least to have a diagnosis. So what I did is I would I would research all my symptoms. I talked to different chronic illness communities. I talked to medical professionals that I know personally. I will go to my doctors and I will ask for any medical tests or medication that I want to try. I'll make suggestions to them. I'll say, you know, do you think it could be this? And if not, do you think it's this? Like what I'm not going to leave it up to just my doctors to, to take care of me medically. I, I absolutely am involved in that. I don't hesitate to schedule appointments with different doctors for either a second opinion or a random consultation. I even, I went for all kinds of doctors um, with this pain after my surgery that I didn't figure it probably would be something like rheumatology, but I was like, I'm going to go and try to figure this out. If I don't, then who else is going to? So true. It's, it's, 
I wish it wasn't necessary, you know, but at the same, it, it just is because doctors can only do so much. And then their office staff, it depends on them and how well they're good at following up and getting the referrals done and fighting with your insurance or whatever it may be. But to, to have to struggle sometimes, it does, it kind of leads to doctor fatigue and frustration and tons of mental health issues because you're exhausted from having to push so hard and advocate for yourself all the time. But at the same time, that's where persistence comes in. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't have a moment where you're screaming in your car or before the appointment or whatever you need to do to get through it. But it means that you still persist and you may take like a, a mini break that you need to breathe, but whatever you need to do to keep going is, is so hard. And it's just, it's amazing that you have been able to get the diagnosis as you have. And I know it's in great deal to what you pushed for, you know, the tests you push for the, the doctors you pushed to see and, and that's important. It really is important in chronic illness and period, but especially probably in a rare disease. I think about how fortunate I am. Is, yes, it took me six and a half months to get the abdominal migraine diagnosis, which is not a rare disease. And I was able to, within a year, get my, my FAP diagnosis. And I think about all these other people in the rare disease community, and it takes them, on average, I think it takes 10 years, if I remember correctly, to get a rare disease diagnosis. Like, it is ridiculous. And I, so I, I feel absolutely fortunate and I, I feel so lucky because it could be so different. It could have been so different for me. And I mean, and I can't say that, it, that it's any, any fault on the patient, why it takes so long sometimes by any means. Right. I think some of it, there's a variety of things. Your symptoms may be so vastly different, but like then for the condition that you actually have, and it could take time to figure that out or other symptoms arise later. And then that helps you make that diagnosis. So, I mean, there are so many reasons um, why it could take time, but having a diagnosis, especially with a rare condition, I'm sure that is critical to the treatments that you receive. Absolutely. And abdominal migraines, uh, migraines in general are terrible, but abdominal migraine, oh, that is no fun at all. And I know you've had a colectomy and you've, you know, had a lot of surgeries. I mean, on your stomach and you're a young woman and, you know, how did you learn and how did persistence help you like accept your body after each and every surgery you had to have? So after my first surgery, I, I really absolutely struggled with my body image. Um, I, so I had the ostomy for six years and I, it was supposed to be temporary and then I got, I was supposed to have it like for three months and then have it reversed. And then all of a sudden it's, it's here and I don't have any hope that it's going to be reversed. And I wasn't able to accept that. I mean, I should have been able to, you know, you think about it. I grew up with my mom has it. My grandpa had, I was around and I knew all that. I didn't care if they had it, but being a nine-year-old, I just, and I had very low self-esteem and I was so shy to begin with. And I think those things really made it harder for me. And so I just, it, I wasn't able to start to accept things about myself until I started going to counseling in high school. Mm-hmm. And it absolutely changed my life because I learned to process and cope with all my medical trauma. And even after that, it still took over two decades for me to really actually accept my body. Um, 
And part of that, a lot of came in with Lisa Pollitt. They, the support I have received from the community is just, it's been life-changing for me emotionally. I, I've grown in self-love and self-confidence. And so acceptance came into pieces for me. Uh, I remember even after my awesome reversal, I didn't want people to know about my health or like my disease or anything like that. I was scared for them to know anything. But at the same time, I didn't have an ostomy anymore. And so I would flaunt my scars, like in a bikini or crop tops or whatever. And I remember just being like, you know, I dare you say something about my scars. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think back and I'm like, I, it was more, I had something to prove to myself than anyone else. But I, I did come to love my scars and I love them. They tell my story. They're nothing to be ashamed of. And then some of that with there's there's times too that because of all my um, surgeries my stomach is not flat and that should be that would be nice that sure would be but I have bulges and valleys and I can't hide them it doesn't matter what I do and that's okay because I've, I've learned that if someone doesn't like my body then I don't really need them in my life the only person that it matters to is me and mm -hmm. And that's how I've come to accept any type of health condition. If you don't like what my health is, then I don't need you in my life. That's perfectly fine. Yes. <laughs> I'm better off. <laughs> yeah, and that has to be strange to uh, being in high school and going through all that as well and being a teenager and having that because it, you know, we did, teenagers especially are particularly brutal. Um, <laughs> In yeah. general, uh, they can be a brutal bunch. Um, I'm getting a, my nephew's becoming one. I'm scared. Oh. And I'm like, no, you have to stay 11 or 12. I can't handle the 13 year old version of yourself. But I find like girls are meaner. I don't know why. I just, or more effective in their wording when they get you. So I can't imagine even dealing with it then. I mean, I dealt with my scars and my body later, you know, in my life, which I think was a, blessing because I think if I had to deal with it in my teen years that would have been a real struggle so it's incredible that and thank goodness for therapy and and those things to kind of find a way to love yourself and you also just it's your new normal I mean you get adjusted to it in a way it's just yeah. who you are now I mean it is look like <laughs> and it's you know a lot of people I kind of go against the mainstream I guess a lot of people say well don't let you know your health define you or whatever and I'm like well for me it does and mm. I don't think it's a bad way because I found purpose in my health and I mean it's shaped my decisions how I spend my time professionally and personally and so I absolutely understand that statement but I think that I think it can be in a positive way too you've chosen to take your illness and create this platform. And honestly, it's amazing because what you have is rare. It needs more things spoken about, more people out front and center saying, hey, this is okay, this is normal. And so some other little you that's nine or 10 that's going through it has you to look at and say, well, she can do it, I can do it. And that's incredible because that's not easy. Not yeah. easy to do. And I love your website and I love Life's Apollop. I think that's adorable. And it was clever. And I mean, that is really what your life is. It's always what's the next polyp. 
absolutely. It's so great. And so, I mean, really, this kind of dives me into this question. How has persistent given you the ability to feel like you're living and not just surviving? There's been really three main periods in my life where I definitely didn't feel like I was living. I was just simply surviving. And that was the first was the span between my first surgery and and when I started counseling because I just mentally, I didn't, I wasn't there to, to survive. I mean, to live. I wasn't there mentally in that space. It wasn't anything about physical. And then the second was during the, the, after my seventh surgery, there was a year at least there was like my life-threatening complications and so at least four months after my last surgery this this last time and I know the first few periods I didn't really have any involvement in that I did what my parents told me I did what my doctors told me and I just kind of let them take care of it I didn't really do anything so I wasn't in control but then you know they helped prod me along so that I could make it through those times. And so with their support and during the better times that I've had, I engaged in activities I enjoyed. Absolutely. I, I you know, went anywhere from joy rides with my friends to traveling out of country. My parents, they have always viewed my health as they were coming by the, the attitude that they were not going to ever, even suggest to me that I couldn't do something just because of my health. My, uh, my, my pediatric GI doctor kept trying to get them to uh, apply for social security for, for disability. And my parents were like, no, you know, we're not going to do that because, and there's nothing wrong with that, I not. but they didn't want to start me out with the idea that I was disabled. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. At the time I met that legal definition by it, but they didn't want to put that in my head at the end of any means because they didn't want me to feel like I had any type of limitations. And so they always have helped me find ways to do the things I want to do. Even now they do. Um, incredible. Yeah. And so your think- mom, like to have your mom as a resource and mm-hmm. your grandpa, I mean, to have somebody who's really gone through it as well, that that probably really helps too, because they understand maybe not every, each and every symptom you have, because, you know, your mom might not have abdominal migraine or things like that, but still to get the idea of what chronic illness does to your life. It's very difficult, not only to see your child go through something like that, but to not have a quote, you know, normal life. And then they don't know how to help. Uh, They try. Some just really don't have, they're not equipped, but your mom, especially, I mean, they've kind of already, they've had to do this in their own life. And for me, it was, and they kind of always say, you know, back then when I was a kid, they didn't know what they were doing. Because I mean, there wasn't the knowledge back then. So they also mm-hmm. had the no learn. internet or like yeah. a lot of internet. <laughs> and, like, and my mom's experience with FAP as a kid was so different than what mine was. And so they were going based off what her experience was and they didn't really have anybody to guide them uh, so much until after I got with my, my pediatric GI. And so it was a learning process for them too, but I did, I watched my mom, you know, with the doctors and the insurance companies. And so I then learned from her and I, she's made a huge difference in my abilities, my, my capabilities. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. I'm, my mother is 
a woman that does not take no, she pushes forward. So I, I watched her when I was beginning to get sick because I was only 18, but watching her at the doctor and watching her push for me made me want to push for myself, made me want to understand it better and learn how to do that. I mean, I remember first going to the doctor, I was so nervous. I couldn't, um, I would talk super fast and super high pitched because my voice, like I'd go, you know, and my mother just kept looking at me like, slow down, honey. Like you're, you're just slow down. I know you're nervous, but you gotta. And so, you know, it took a while for me to be poised when I went to the doctor and not to be so nervous about it. And of course you want to, you know, get the right treatment and the right things. And I was scared about that. And, but yeah, but she was just like, you have to, show up in a certain way to get, to get treated a certain way. And I was like, I did not realize this. And you also have to follow up. Like that is the middle name, which is what persistence is. It's continuing to follow up and to keep pushing. And like I said, in the opening, like, it doesn't mean that you have to not have like peaks and valleys where you have low points. I mean, you're going to have low points. That's just the way life is, but it means you still ride those out you know, and it's not easy. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I cannot, mean, who am I talking to here? You know, how would you, I mean, just out of curiosity anyway, how would you, how do you manage your mental health? What, what kind of steps do you take to kind of help yourself when you are having kind of a low uh, point? <laughs> so definitely after um, my last surgery, I had to relearn self-care because I realized I wasn't doing self-care. And so actually between, so I got back into counseling and even my boss has been helping me learn self-care. She's like, you have to take time off now, like to do something for you. And I'll be like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get my house painted. And she's like, that's not time for you. And I'm like, oh, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm still, I'm, I'm on with, I'm still learning self-care. I, I'm, I'm not the best at it. I'm not going to lie um, here. I'm definitely still learning. I still push probably too hard. And then I pay for that maybe a little bit more than I should, but it is, it's so hard to give yourself self-care. It's, it's definitely something you have to relearn. And it, it my therapist definitely helps because you know, that make me not feel guilty about taking it. And I'm like, why? And logically, I'm like, I should be able to take it. I mean, but right. emotionally, it's like, no. <laughs> yeah, because I know my boss, she's like, you don't have to take time off work, do you? And I'm like, no, not really, unless I have an absolute reason to. And she's like, well, you need to start doing that. So it's yeah, vacation days for a reason yeah. and PTO for a reason. But you seem like that's, you're like, but I want to work. And well, it's, it's, a, it's a really it's a fair thing for me because I feel like I have to work as much as I can for as long as I can for the financial security of it so I'm terrified of not working and that was part of the thing was when I was having so much pain after my surgery I, I mean all I did was I went to work and then I went to bed and I stayed in bed for 16 hours and uh, the two things I had that I was like, I have to do, I have to go to my doctors and I have to go to work until I can figure this out. And, and that did help also push me to end up finding a diagnosis and effective treatment plan for it so that I could start doing things again, which I am doing now. And, and with the support of friends and family as well. And, 
and even now I'm actually I'm making appointments to start physical therapy because a year later my stamina and my recovery periods are not what I would like them to be and I'm not making progress on my own as much as I think I should be Mm -hmm. so I'm reaching out again for help and support so that I can live better than what I am now and I'm so grateful for where I am now but I think I can do better I just need help to get there that's so true when we do have our good moments it's like you have to cherish those as much as you can because you just the unknown is always there when you're chronically sick especially for you and so you're just trying to cherish what you have and to get in the best shape you can which is amazing I, I'm still doing physical therapy I'm like a they know me by name. They literally just wave me in. I'm like, yep, it's me again. Uh, so it's it's a chronic thing that I always, and I'll probably always have to do some sort of physical therapy for just maintenance of my body. So, but it's just part of life for me now. And, but it's great that you can do that and reach out and get the help just to kind of make you the best that you can be for what you have. You're, you're really incredible. And I really, really, recommend you going to check out her site. It's really a neat site. And if you want to learn more about Jenny, including her blog or her YouTube vlog or her children's book, Life's a Polyp with Zeke and Katie, you can, like I said, go to her amazing website, which I'll also include in the episode description, which is lifesapolyp.com. And additionally, if you're interested in supporting and raising awareness for FAP, her website will direct you to an online shop like I said, where you can find clothing and accessories for every age, honestly, uh, as well as some items for your furry friends, which is very tempting. I may have to do this. Something fun. He needs something. But thank you again. This was great. I'm so glad you could do this. And thank you. It was great. Thank you to all my listeners for tuning in. And I hope you tune in next week when we talk to another amazing warrior. And remember, you are not alone and you are not your pain. Like the show? Please subscribe and leave a review. Or do you want to be a guest? Simply email notmypain at heroescircle.org. Again, that is notmypain at heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, circle.org. Your story matters, and we look forward to hearing from you. Hi, this is Keith. I am a martial arts therapist at the Hero Circle, a global healing and wellness initiative inspired by the children of kids kicking cancer. Would you like to discover the power of your breath while fueling the purpose of thousands of sick children across the globe? Simply check out our free adult meditation catalog at herocircle.org forward slash meditations. To learn more about our program and our inspirational little heroes, visit our website at herocircle.org. From all of us at the Hero Circle, we wish you a wonderful day. Power, peace, purpose. <laughs>